0: Why don't, we, uh, why don't we pray? Father, thank you for, uh, for all of these um, young children who have gone out to Sunday school this morning. And uh, We pray that you'd be at work in their young hearts and minds to teach them more of the Lord Jesus, more of who he is and all that he's done for us, of his great love for us. Uh, would you uh, nurture their young faith uh, and bring them to, uh, to know and love the Lord Jesus and serve him, throughout their lives. We pray for their leaders this morning, that you would equip them uh, and also uh, encourage them with the, the way they're serving this morning and the, uh, the effect that, uh, that your gospel has in young lives. We want to pray for uh, those in our church, Father, who uh, are struggling at the moment, and we do pray uh, that you will be with those who are unable to be with us today, that they will have a very real sense of your presence and uh, your love and your power with them uh, we pray that uh, that they will know the encouragement of your word uh, even though they can't gather with your people. We pray father that you would bring comfort where that is needed, that you would bring relief, perhaps even healing uh, where that is your will. And we pray uh, father that uh, we will continue to see you at work among us and in our lives. We do want to pray father as well, of course, for those suffering around the world at the moment. We want to think uh, perhaps especially of uh, of Ukraine. As we continue to watch uh, very difficult scenes and very difficult stories coming from there, we do pray so much for your people uh, and for for all of the people of that country. Father, we pray uh, that you will bring this war to a swift end, that you will frustrate the plans uh, of wicked men, that you will frustrate greed and hunger for power and evil. Father, as we sing about the cross, as we read about the cross, we know that the same seeds of sin have their roots in our hearts, uh, as, just as we see them blossoming in full in other parts of the world. And Father, we know that we need, uh, we need the cross and we need the gospel. We need the work of the Prince of Peace. And so, Father, we pray that you would be at work in Ukraine, in Russia, in the surrounding countries as well, to bring peace, to bring freedom for the gospel, to bring relief from suffering. Uh, and Father, we pray that somehow you will work in all of this evil for good, for the good of, of, of ordinary people, and for the good of your church. Uh, we pray that knowing that you are sovereign, you are all-powerful, and you are the God of supreme self-giving love, the God of the cross. And so uh, we pray to you this morning with our eyes on Jesus uh, and our hearts full for, for these uh, people who are suffering so much. Father, would you be with us now as we uh, read and consider your self-giving love for us uh, and bless us in the remainder of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you want to turn to uh, John chapter 19, Laura's going to read it for us in just a moment. In fact, it's probably worth coming on up, Laura, if you're, if you're there. So, um, John chapter 19, the context is, Jesus has been betrayed, arrested, abandoned, questioned, accused, flogged, crowned, mocked, and sentenced to death. And that's where Laura takes over. Thanks.
1: Finally, Pilate handed him over to, be, to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. They took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken and, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there.
0: Thanks, Laura. Well, there are, um, there are times and events in the world that are so shocking and so profound that we remember ever after exactly where we were when we heard the news. In my lifetime, I think the most obvious example to me is the September 11th attacks in the United States. I was walking the dog uh, around lunchtime on a bright Tuesday afternoon. I came back to find the news coverage in full flow. Uh, I remember. I can remember the decor of my parents' living room where we were watching the TV that afternoon. Although, uh, although the, the entire room has changed now, uh, and I'm sure many of us remember where we were that day, uh, and even halfway around the world from those events. And I'm sure you remember other times uh, where you heard momentous, profound news. And remember exactly where you were. And let's not miss the profound moment this is in John chapter 19. I want to start with that idea, uh, the the profound reality that uh, God's Son is put to death. God's Son is put to death. Most of us are familiar with John 19, or at least with the event that it describes. But let's not miss, for familiarity, the profound moment this is. Look at the final word recorded in verse 30. And I hope you have the passage open in front of you somehow. But it says, uh, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. God's Son is put to death. It's a profound moment and also in some ways a, a strange moment. For one thing, Jesus seems so helpless here. Throughout the chapter, everything seems to happen to him. So, Pilate handed him over. The soldiers took charge of him. They crucified him. They divided his clothes. They pierced his side. Two men took his body. They prepared it. They buried it. And as the chapter ends, they laid Jesus there in the tomb. Jesus is like, you know, Aslan lying down on the stone table, passive, kind of voluntarily helpless. And yet he also seems at moments to be in control as well. So he sees his mother Mary at the foot of the cross in verse 26. And knowing that he cannot care for her any longer as a firstborn son should, he provides for her through a beloved disciple, usually thought to be John himself. So even as he dies to save us, he provides for her. And then in verse 28, he calls for this drink, uh, knowing that it will fulfill Scripture. So Jesus is still intentionally working. Uh, And even in verse 30, he seems to be somehow in control. So, with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. God's Son is put to death, although we might just as easily say uh, that God's Son submitted to death or gave himself over to death, went intentionally to death. It's the mysterious mingling, isn't it, of the wickedness of man and the sovereign purpose of God. And he did die, of course, there's no doubt about that. It's one of the most widely agreed facts of history uh, by saints, scholars, and skeptics alike that Jesus lived and that he was put to death on a Roman cross. Soldiers, of course, take a spear and make sure, don't they? They Better not to botch an execution after all. And so they they use the spear, leading to this flow of what's described as blood and water. And if you were a medic, I guess you'd be thinking about Um, Plural and pericardial effusion uh, resulting from hypovolemia and acute heart failure. But for the rest of us, I guess it's, you know, they pierced the man who was already dead, uh, kind of reaching the depth of heart and lungs. They really made sure, and he was definitely dead. Um, Dead and buried, in fact. So, in verse 40, we see the meticulous care taken with Jesus' body. There were no signs of life. There's no shallow breathing. There's no weak pulse. They prepared his body. They placed it in a tomb. God's son is put to death. It's a profound moment. And it's a profound moment, not least because God's rescue mission is finished. So God's son is put to death. uh, So God's rescue mission is finished. And we'll spend quite a bit more on on this uh, this idea. Uh, God's rescue mission is is finished. Have you ever noticed how many things come in threes? Uh, I don't want to go straight to you know, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and say that because of that, we're all hardwired to look for threes. But it's amazing how many things do come in threes. You know, an atom consists of three parts. We experience birth, life, and death, past, present, and future, mind, body, and spirit, beginning, middle, and end, a solid, liquid, and gas. We, we have three primary colors. We eat three meals a day. We stop and go for three traffic lights, and we reward silver, uh, gold, silver, and bronze. At the podium, as children, we learn the lessons of the three little pigs. We hope the genie grants us the three wishes, and we play rock, paper, scissors. Uh, We learn uh, ready, set, go, stop, look, and listen, stop, drop, and roll, reduce, reuse, recycle. Uh, Our favorite books or films might be trilogies, and if it's Star Wars, it's a trilogy of trilogies, although they did recycle a couple of storylines, didn't they? Uh, And in his gospel, John has been dipping into the threes recently. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Pilate declared Jesus innocent. Three times Jesus will question Peter in chapter 21. Spoiler alert, if you don't know where this is going, Jesus is going to make a comeback. And in chapter 19, three times Jesus' death fulfills scripture in the gambling over Jesus' clothes, in the offer of this not very appetizing vinegar drink, and in the way that they checked that Jesus had died. And it all points to this idea that this profound moment has been eternity in the planning. And this is the moment of of a long, long mission accomplished. So let's think about those three fulfillments of Scripture. First, the gambling over Jesus' clothes. Uh, As was the norm, the soldiers at the execution would strip uh, the victim for humiliation and also for the effect that would have on other potential rebels in the, the population, keeping people in line And here as they sat, the soldiers guarding the scene and waiting for death to take its course, they divvied up Jesus' clothes. But there was one piece left that couldn't be divided uh, without being ruined. So they rolled the dice to see who would get it. They were entirely independent as they did this. And totally unknown to them, a thousand years before, another king of Israel uh, wrote these words. He said, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That's Psalm 22, written about a thousand years earlier. And it's a remarkable (laughs) uh, description of, of what happens to Jesus. And both elements are there at the end, aren't they? They divide my garments and they cast lots. For my clothing. I think it's fair to assume that these soldiers were not familiar with Psalm 22 and were not acting it out on purpose, and yet they fulfilled it. So, that's the, the clothes. Uh, and secondly, in John 19, 28, verse 28, Jesus knows that he has accomplished his mission, but even in his agony in this moment, he moves. he moves to fulfill more prophecy himself. So, he wasn't in control of the soldiers. He's not in control of what's about to happen with the spear. But he moves intentionally to fulfill some prophecy. So, he tells the guards that he's thirsty, uh, which if you remember Jesus in John 7, he's the one who said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Uh, Streams of living water will flow from within him. Well, he has submitted himself to thirst uh, on our account. But he moves intentionally to fulfill Psalm 69, my throat is parched, they gave me vinegar for my thirst. So even in agony, he wants to fulfill and resonate with these ancient details of this eternal plan, this mission. And then thirdly, uh, as the soldiers look to speed things up, of course, they they see that Jesus is already dead. They use the spear, as we've mentioned, and with little ears in the room, we're not going to dwell on the physical side of this. But in the Passover meal in Exodus 12, uh, none of the bones of the lamb that was killed for each family was to be broken. Uh, Psalm 34 as well, speaking uh, of the Lord protecting a righteous man, it says he protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Zechariah 12, they will look on the one they have pierced, and just a few verses after that it says, on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. I, uh, I read once, and I must check if it's still true. Apparently, there's a signpost in Antarctica, which, as you know, is the South Pole. Uh, and it's, uh, the signpost is a big, it's just a big pole with lots and lots of boards attached, labeled with all sorts of destinations, probably capital cities and that sort of thing, pointing in all sorts of directions. And the fun fact, of course, about it being Antarctica is that all of those vastly different locations across the, uh, across the world are in more or less one direction, which, of course, is north, Uh, almost everything is north (laughs) from the South Pole. Here we've got the opposite. Places across the vastness of Scripture and history all point to one focal point, the cross of Christ. Uh, Here at the cross, God's rescue mission is finished. And Jesus says as much as well, doesn't he? We've read verse 30 already with uh, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Finished is, you know, it's it's the same word as in, in verse 28, completed, accomplished. And in a little book on John's gospel, a chap called Bruce Milne writes about three things that Jesus especially finished and completed in this moment. First, Jesus finished realizing his father's will. Uh, so John 4, Jesus says, I and the Father are one, and my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. So Jesus' bread and butter is to do his Father's work, to save his Father's people, to glorify his Father's name. And here he's done it. It's finished. Jesus finished realizing his Father's will. Second, that uh, Jesus finished revealing his Father's heart. You think way back to John 18, uh, it says, no one has ever seen God but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Or, or John 12, Jesus cried out, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. And here, in the death of the Son of God, we see exactly how seriously God takes all sin and wrong in this world and in our hearts. We see his anger, his justice, his holiness. But We see the lengths to which he would go to save traitors and rebels like you and me. Jesus came, God in the flesh, to show us what God is like, and this is what God is like. As he hangs on the cross and says, it's finished. I've done it. I've saved them. This is the Father's heart. He's finished revealing the Father's heart. So the Father's will, the Father's heart, and finally, uh, he's finished redeeming his Father's world. There's a verse in John, you might have heard it, it goes something like this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Many will not believe, and they will perish. Uh, But by the grace of God, uh, many of us will be brought back and saved, and that is because of this moment at the cross, the grace of God that's expressed and enacted at the cross. In the middle of of this Passover season in Jerusalem, when Israel looked to the Lamb who died in their place to redeem them from God's justice, Jesus died once and for all to buy us back for God, and it's finished. Jesus finished redeeming His Father's world. So, realizing His Father's will, revealing His Father's heart, redeeming His Father's world, if you like that sort of uh, structure to things. As Jesus was put to death Uh, He he completed his work in full so that we might be saved. He died as our Passover lamb. You know, John 1, uh, what is it? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One of the first things that's said about Jesus in John chapter 1. He died because we deserve God's wrath for the way that we've lived in his world with so little thought of him and uh, regard for him and gratitude to him, love for him. He died so that God's judgment would pass over us and it passes over us because it fell in full force on him. You know, back on that um, first Passover night in Egypt, uh, God's wrath and judgment didn't get through to God's people because of the blood on their doorposts, the blood that sheltered them, the blood that that, uh, showed that a death had already occurred, had had already come to that house. A lamb had died. For us, we don't shelter in our houses, but we shelter in the arms of Jesus as He wraps Himself around us and and shields us with His body so that all the wrath and the justice that pours down on us hits Him instead with full force, and we shelter in Him. And His blood shows that the death deserved because of our sin has happened. Jesus has died. Our sin is paid for. Justice is done. The work is complete. And now we kind of, uh, we, we, we emerge. <laughs> we stand up like people coming out of some sort of uh, tornado shelter. You know, I watched the film recently about tornadoes in the States. Uh, the story wasn't especially compelling, but the, but the scene and the, the strength, the sense of the strength of a storm like that, that just destroys whole towns. Uh, It was just incredible, incredible. And so we emerge like people coming out of some sort of tornado shelter, and we look around and realize that judgment has come through, and it has passed over, and we are still alive. More than that, we are now free from guilt, free from sin, free from accusation. Justice will never pass over us again. It's all gone. The sun comes out. We are clean. We're new, and we're welcome. We're welcome to God the Father, to His kingdom, to His future, to His life. So God's son is put to death, and God's rescue mission is is finished. Well, what is there uh, left to say? There is uh, something. I'm not about to tell you about the rule of threes and then preach a two-point sermon. Uh, God's son is put to death, so God's rescue mission is finished. As God's people prepare for worship, just worth looking at what's some of the details of what's happening in this chapter, it's always worth watching the people around Jesus. What are they doing while all this is happening? This profound moment that they're living through and witnessing, what are they doing? Well, actually, this is what they're doing. They're preparing for worship. How do the people around Jesus understand him? How do they react to him? How do, uh, you know, what's going on in their hearts and minds that would maybe be a window to us on, on ours? It's always worth watching the people around Jesus when we're reading the gospel. So for let's for just a few minutes, let's look a le- again at this scene. And uh, I might be flogging a, a horse here, but let's look at three things. <laughs> the, the sign, the spear, and the Sabbath. The sign, the spear, and the Sabbath. So first of all, the sign. Uh, and the sign is that he's the king that they rejected. So look at verses 19 to 22. Pilate has the sign made and fastened to Jesus' cross. We get a sense of of Pilate's unease last week. He's, he's not happy about crucifying this, this um, innocent man. And so, he kind of wants to, to just stick it to the, the, the Jewish leaders a little bit. Uh, and so, he has the sign made, and it says, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And it's up there in three languages, and it's in a really public place, and loads of people are filing past for the Passover festival. There's loads of people around at the time. So, verse 21, the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. I mean, how much do they hate Jesus? He's literally breathing his last breaths, and they will not give an inch. Um, (laughs) They will not give one inch to Jesus. Uh, We need to realize, especially uh, if we're not followers of Jesus, that we are not neutral to him. Uh, we are, you know, we either submit to this king or we rebel against him. There's no fence to sit on. Uh, So, first, the sign. He's the king that they rejected. Second, the spear. What's that telling us? It's telling us they want him dead and disappeared. So, look at verse 31. It was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Uh, Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. So they've got Jesus killed, and now they want him out of sight. Out of sight and out of mind. Get him down, get him in the ground, get rid of him fully and finally and forever. Uh, and if we reject Jesus, we also want to suppress Jesus. We want him out of sight and out of mind. Uh, so so there's the sign he's the king that they rejected. There's the spear that wanting to to get him you know, dead and disappeared, suppressed, out of sight, out of mind. Perhaps that's a window unto ourselves. And then third, there's the Sabbath. They want to get on with worship. So same verse, verse 31, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because they did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, uh, the Jews asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Um, so this is the second reference out of, guess how many, three, Uh, to the day of preparation in John chapter 19. Now, there was only two of them in this week's passage. One of those references came last week, (laughs) so it's hard to spot the three of them. But the day of preparation, day of preparation, day of preparation. Why does John uh, bang that drum uh, three times about the day of preparation? I think he wants us to see that while the Jews are conspiring to have Jesus killed, they are at the very same time preparing for worship want to get an innocent man killed, and they're busying themselves, getting ready for worship. We can be ever so religious, but be willfully blind to what God is doing right in front of us, because we actually, as, John, as Jesus said so many times in John's gospel, don't know him at all. We just don't know him. Busying ourselves for worship, but we don't know God. <laughs> we need to examine ourselves so closely this is the danger, isn't it, for those of us who are part of a church, isn't it? Because we're part of these people who are getting ready for rhythms of worship. Uh, this, is the, this is the trap for us, I think, uh, that we might be blind to what God is doing because we don't know him. Uh, so the sign, the spear, and the Sabbath, they reject Jesus as king, they want him dead and disappeared, and they want to get on with worship, perhaps the most shocking part. And that should absolutely give us pause for thought today. Today. Uh, but then we come to uh, Joe and Nick, <laughs> Joseph and, and Nicodemus. So the Jewish leaders ask Pilate to have the death of Jesus sped up. Joseph and Nicodemus ask Pilate to allow the body of Jesus to be cared for. Joseph, it says, is a, a slightly um, cowardly disciple, secret disciple of Jesus. Nicodemus, remember, visited Jesus by night in chapter 3, and he seems to be the same. Uh, you know, he's kind of still still kind of intrigued by Jesus. And they're in a difficult spot. They are uh, close to or even part of the Jewish leadership. They have not stood with Jesus in this crunch time, but then who has? Uh, And even now, they summon uh, the the courage to honor and care for Him. Um, Verse 42, they are working quickly as well because they have the day of preparation in mind too, but in a spirit of reverence and worship towards Jesus. Not so that he'll be quickly out of sight, but so that he'll, properly, he'll be properly laid to rest. And I hope deep down that we are not, uh, we're not like the Jewish leaders uh, rejecting Jesus. I hope and pray that those of us who are or who may be uh, listening to this at some point will turn and trust in him and submit to the king of self-giving love. That's what John himself wants for us. Verse 35 that's why he's written this book. It says, the man who saw it, and he's talking about himself, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his, this, uh, his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. I hope we turn and trust in belief in Jesus. Uh, some of us are followers of Jesus, but we're quiet about it, like Joseph and, and Nicodemus. We're not really sure how to serve him or how to speak for him, and we need to grow in that. But like Joseph and Nicodemus, we can already get on with humble, honoring acts of service and worship. Uh, and we need to do that, in fact, because that's how we will grow. Uh, we, can, we can imitate them despite their, uh, their limitations because of their humble steps in the right direction. And so here, as in so many parts of this book, as we finish, we are presented with a challenge and a choice. Uh, Will we be like the Jews, bitterly rejecting Jesus till the end, or will we be a bit more like Joseph and Nicodemus, a a bit unsure, a little bit afraid, but willing to take humble steps of service? We know more than they did, of course. We know what happens in the next chapter. We know uh, Jesus does not stay in the grip of death and uh, I'm sorry if that spoils the drama of next week for you, but uh, hopefully you know that's, that's coming. Uh, will we not give ourselves, with all that we know, will we not give ourselves fully to this king of self-giving love? Why don't we pray for his help? And then we're going to, we're going to linger at this scene as we, as we sing and then as we share uh, communion. So let's, let's pray. Um, let's pray. Father, we marvel at your Son, Our Lord and our Savior and our friend, uh, Jesus. What a Savior He is. What determination and courage He showed. What mercy and love You've poured out on us. What privilege is ours in Him. Thank You, Father. Help us to believe and to take such encouragement, even from the little details of this chapter, that You've been planning this day, this profound moment, literally since forever. We thank you for the chance that we have to believe in your Son and to pin all our hopes and build all of our lives on him. Help us to respond in our hearts and in our minds, to resolve in our lives, to know and to love and to serve him more and more out of sheer joy and thanks to the one who has taken away our sin, our guilt, our doubt, our shame, our death, and our hell, and who says to us, All that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. Father, may we love and worship him today and forever, and we ask in his name. Amen.